Okay. Um, I, I, there is a, some sort of outline around. You don't have to have one. You can't have one. You don't need one. I don't know if it's going to be helpful or not, so we'll find out. Um, it's got a cool map on it, actually. Because, I, I, you know, the new Pew Edition Bible doesn't have a map in it, like your you know, Bible's growing up. Have you ever wondered why those maps are in there? Well, it's for lessons like today. Okay. Um, well, hey, before we start, three things we got to do. Uh, first thing is, is we had just closed. We just closed out our, our first quarter of our fiscal year uh, here at St. John, and things are going really well. So this is a good time to talk about money because things are going well. Um, so uh, starting, uh, not starting, but next week we'll have a quarterly report in the just a real basic one in the Life Together next week. Um, but one of the things I want to talk about, about attending giving, and this is something related to Pastor Bruzek. He's a, he's a pretty cool guy. Um, while while uh, the Bruzeks were out in Colorado, uh, Pastor Bukes and I were talking to Pastor Bruzek on the phone, and we said, hey, a lot of people have asked, what can they do? Um, and, and the first thing, well, the second thing that came out of Pastor Bruzek's mouth was, Please remind people to tend their giving. And the fundamental reason why was is that he said, and this goes to the thanks that Kirby just mentioned, thanks to the people who who consistently give to St. John, St. John was able to afford the health care that the Bruzics needed at that moment. And, you know, he said, I've never used this much health care in my entire life, but... Because of what St. John has done for the pastors, we're able to, uh, you know, handle this storm in our life. And I thought to myself, man, I did not see that answer coming. (laughs) But when I thought about it, I thought, that's exactly right. When uh, when When we gather together and we do the things that we do in our lives, we don't... And we simply, steadily, consistently uh, work together, stay together when these storms come into our life. We should be able to handle them because of our persistence in loving one another. And of course, actually, tithing to the church is a form of love. It's it's loving, obviously, pastors, one another. We've all been on the receiving end of our tithing, whether it be Oktoberfest or any other thing that happens here. Or also, then, too, of course, the third thing. Oh, so, okay, so. It's a great time to talk about money because everything's in the black. It's just something to keep going. Um, we'll get that thing in the life together next week. Uh, and then also, too, um, as new members come here to St. John, you, you guys here in this, this room right now are kind of the leaders of the parish that will by your actions and by your words, help the new people who come to St. John to, to follow in line with us as we follow our Lord Jesus. People learn by watching, by living together, by, by watching as we, as we, we handle things. So I, I, we bring it up here, especially in this group, because of your role as uh, mature Christians. And this is just what mature Christians do. Um, 
Oh, of course, the end of the year is around the corner, too, and that's a good time to making sure you get things in before the fiscal or the calendar year gets done for your 2015 taxes, so don't forget that also. All right, that wasn't as cool as the other stuff that we just said, but, um, but it is very practical, very practical. Um, yeah, so, so uh, which also then, too, about the tithing and then loving uh, others, too, is related to the basket. So we're giving towards St. Matthew's Soup Kitchen uh, this, this weekend, too. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things that uh, money is never a neutral. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but it's always attached to an action. And we as Christians are formed by our Lord Jesus, and our actions, of course, are formed by that, too. So, um, okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, open our hearts and minds to your Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit guides us in our reading today. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, some, of, some of over the last eight years, people have asked, hey, how, how have you pastors worked well? I mean, how, how have you guys worked together? You know, how's it, how's it working with Pastor Bruzek? How's it working with Pastor Bukes? And uh, if there's not any more proof of how... Uh, Hard and wonderful it is to work with Pastor Bruzek and Pastor Bukes. Uh, today is a good example. So, those who go to the 11 o'clock service, you'll realize that I just so happened to preach utilizing the same thing that Pastor Bukes did two weeks ago. <laughs> Unbeknownst to me. I, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was preaching in another spot. I did not consult Pastor... Well, I take that back. So uh, this, uh, this last week, I called up Pastor Beeks and said, Hey, listen, did you use the Heidelberg Disputation in your sermon? Because I'm going to use that because I'm thinking about Jesus' look changes things. And the, Heidel- the Disputation Thesis number 28, not to put you to sleep, is really beautiful because God finds something and creates it. He creates it. I mean, he doesn't find it. He creates it by his look. Uh, and Pastor Beeks is like, Oh, no, 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 no. I'm like, Okay, great, because this is what I'm going to say. He's like, Oh, that sounds good. What I didn't realize is I should have asked him about the other thing I was going to use. <laughs> so uh, it's very frustrating working with these uh, Pastor, Brooks, Pastor Bukes and Pastor Bruzek, but at the same time, you know, great minds think alike, right? So <laughs> I uh, laughed very hard last night when the, well, two things happened last night. Someone in the receiving line said, oh, hey, I looked up that study. I thought to myself, you're not supposed to do that in church. <laughs> So I'm, I'm going down to the vestry, and I walk into the vestry, and the lay assistant who was there helping, who, whose name will remain nameless, says, boy, I, didn't Pastor Bukes preach on that two weeks ago? I was like, no, no, no. He's like, yeah, I think so. And then the, vi- the vicar comes in. The vicar comes in and says, hey, Pastor, I was just waiting for you to say, Give the punchline, and then there wasn't any. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding! Me. <laughs> so, it's it's a blessing to work together. <laughs> okay, well, we're gonna uh, G- uh, Genesis chapter 12. I think last week you finished up with the Tower of Babel or Babel, um, and we're gonna talk about Abraham. Abraham, Father Abraham, had many sons. You all know that Sunday school song. There we go. Excellent. Well, I included a map. Because, like I said before, most of us don't know our ancient Near East geography. And I think it's it's beneficial to uh, use a map. Okay, the um, 
the map is basically starts in Ur, which is in the land of the Chaldeans, which of course we all know as um, modern-day Iraq. Babylonia, that's where it's at. You see Ur, U-R? That's where Abraham begins with his father and his uh, uh, uncle Lot. And they go on a little journey all the way up to Haran, which is all the way up on the top of the map there. And they spend some time up there. We don't know exactly how long. And then that's when God shows up in Genesis chapter 12 and says, Hey, go from here into the land of Canaan. Okay. So, if you, that's a long journey. It's a doozy of a journey right there, okay? Um, I just bring that out because we're going to talk a little bit about journey in a bit. All right, so who is Abraham? Abraham, of course, in Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 9, his name is not Abraham, it's Abram. Um, and I give the meanings, just some basic meanings going on there. I'm just going to refer to him as Abraham. It's too confusing not to. Okay. Well, first thing that we want to know about Abraham is he's an idol worshiper. I mean, that makes me feel so much better, right? Oftentimes I read the Bible to make myself feel better. He's an idol worshiper, plain, plain and simple. Uh, Joshua 24.2, and I think verse 11 also in Joshua 24, also says that uh, basically Abraham's an idol worshiper. Now, for most of us, we'll say, well, when God showed up, that probably got all clean, cleaned up. Maybe, okay? Um, contrary to Noah, Abraham doesn't start out so faithful. All right, so that's good for us, especially if you think about your past. I mean, I don't know where you guys all started. I know where you are right now. You're here. Um, but this is very important for us because in Mesopotamia at that time, uh, people were just, they, they worshipped all different kinds of gods back then. And Abraham, presuming... He's like a regular guy, was two. In fact, in the biblical text, uh, it is probably a good argument to say that when uh, Yahweh shows up, he's just one of the gods. Of course, he doesn't stay that way. Okay, things change. But when he shows up in Abraham's life, Abraham uh, kind of treats him like a family, a family god. Back in those days, way back when, they had family gods, personal gods. And you see it also in the biblical text later with Jacob. I think I might have wrote that there, where Jacob's petitioning his family, hey, put away your gods. Your, your, what he means is your personal gods. Get rid of them. So even all the way up through his grandchildren, this is somehow in the midst of his family. So Abraham is complicated when it comes to their spiritual life. And if you're like a normal family... Life is complicated when it comes to faith. Okay, so now when did Abraham stop worshiping idols? Because, of course, we, some of us might remember in New Testament, which we'll get to eventually, uh, Abraham's you know, glowing reviews, man. He's the man of faith. I mean, this is the guy, right? So did he stop automatically when God showed up? He put him away? Well, there's no explicit information in the Genesis text where God will say to the nation of Israel, or in the sense of Jacob, will say, hey, put away those, stop worshiping those guys and worship, worship me. All right? So what we find out is, is I, I think Abraham, it's a slow process. Now, when I say slow, it's not so slow in the Bible because it's only like a couple of chapters. But in terms of, remember that map, right? 
I mean, how long does it take to go that far, right? Holy smokes. Um, so you get in Genesis chapter 12, God to promise Abraham he's going to be a great nation, he's going to have a great name. But God's covenant with Abraham doesn't really happen until Genesis 15 when he eventually winds up in Canaan. So I think, I think this, was a, this was an interesting process for Abraham to come to the point where I think most of us think Abraham just kind of started out at. The other reason, in a way, I say this is because, I think I asked this maybe later in the outline, I don't like to go in order sometimes, is um, Melchizedek shows up in the story in Genesis 14. You know, the story with Noah, come back, track your will. Noah is, he's a faith, faithful guy in the midst of faithfulness, or faithlessness. So God says, oh, hey, you're going to, I'm going to wash the world of its sin, and I'm going to save you through the ark. Well, Abraham is kind of a, it's kind of a, a different story. There's faithfulness out in the world, but God sh- chooses an idol worshiper. Now, Melchizedek is, is a priest of the Most High God. So there are, there are people, faithful Christians back then. It's not like there was none and God had to just choose Abraham. All right, I bring that up is because um, the story of Abraham and the story of Genesis and God's work in, in people's lives is maybe a lot more uh, relatable than what we think. So when we read these biblical texts, we oftentimes gloss over the complexities of a person's life. And a lot of it has to do is that we're modern people. We don't think in ancient Near Eastern terms. How we find some of this stuff is, is some of these things is breaking with the family. When Abraham leaves his family, I, you know, if you're, if you're like me, I often think that, oh, you know, hey, you got a new job. Gonna, you know, he grew up, in, grew up in his hometown. Now he's got to go to the big city, right? But through telephone, you know, Skype or whatever, we can still stay in contact with his family. That's not what happens when Abraham moves. Abraham doesn't just move, but he dies to his old life. All right, this is somewhat of a radical departure for Abraham to make. Okay? So when God says, hey, go away from, you know, go away from your family, he's saying go away from your relations, go away from your livelihood, um, and to a certain extent, go away from your family gods, which, of course, that's all very positive. I mean, that, that's good, right? Going away, I mean... I'd rather not have an you know, idol worshiper as something to look, look up to, someone faithful. So when Abraham breaks away from his family, when he goes, he is, is really making this radical departure. At the same time, though, he doesn't go by himself. This is where things get a little complicated. He makes that first trek with his father. Okay, So he goes with his father. So to a certain extent... That's not a radical departure as maybe we first believe. Because his dad's with him. And you go with your dad back then. You just go. You don't leave your dad. Um, also, his, Lot comes with him. So maybe the family gods came with too. So maybe, maybe God's kind of easing Abraham into this transition. All right? Then, of course, then eventually, though, it, well, which we'll take a look at next week in Genesis 15, then Abraham is all by himself. Okay, I, I would argue, though, that it's not until Genesis 22 
that God in, or that Abraham in fact in fact has made the complete kind of conversion in a sense. What happens in Genesis chapter 22? Yes, and what does God say to him afterwards? Now I know my son is Isaac, so I, I actually I, I read this text often, so maybe I shouldn't presume the same out of you. Um, now, Genesis 22, let's just take a quick gander at it. There we go. And the angel, well, yeah, yeah, that's the second time. So that's the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and I have not, and not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Which, of course, is an echo of Genesis chapter 12. Um, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So I, I think it culminates in this moment where now Abraham has been given over to the good side completely. It's this action of complete... Now, I mean, because we'll, we'll talk about this in two weeks. I, well, I, I don't know if I'm here in two weeks, so somebody will. Um, when God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, we use the word sacrifice, Right? And, of course, sacrifice has a religious connotation, which, of course, is good, right? We're all here to worship God. And The thing is, though, from Abraham's perspective, what, I mean, do you think he's sitting there, oh, I'm going to go to church today, and I'm going to just murder my son? I mean, when we use the word sacrifice, a little part of us, it, it, it's a little bit more palpable. I mean, uh, uh, we can swallow it a, a little bit easier. But the fact is, is that Abraham is killing his son. That makes that that really is not I mean that's hard that's hard that's really hard to swallow as a as a christian how does the story work out but abraham though in this instance is willing to not work according to human human logic he is he is completely now given over to the will of god even if it doesn't make sense which of course we sh- we should Hear an echo there, right? Of someone else who says, Lord, can you remove this from me? But not my will, but your will be done. All right, so I think it's, it's, it's all up to this point in Genesis chapter 22 where now Abraham has really been embraced uh, and, and has now been completely saturated with the faith that God has been working in him since Genesis chapter 12. Um, there's arguments that it doesn't happen, but I, I think that's probably, well, I feel like this is a lot more relatable. I don't know about you, but are you stronger? Well, here's, here's the thing. Um, I feel like uh, uh, I'm a little more mature in my faith than I was, you know, eight years ago when I first became a pastor. So I think growth in your faith is normal. And the characters in the scripture, we don't see that a lot. But here in this instance, our father Abraham, in fact, grows quite dramatically. All right. Um, any questions about that? Krista. But the question is, um, Abraham understood God's word because that was <clears throat> Well, this is a good question. 
In chapter 15, God counted, credited it to him as righteousness, right? So there is a difference between the objective justification and the subjective aspect of saving grace. So when God shows up and says, hey, you're going you're gonna to do this, that is, that is, that is what happens. That is, that is objective. But God shows up in a lot of places and things, um, you know, Israel was given these same promises and he, well, things didn't always work out for them, right? The whole point, though, is, is that, so there is a, a growth in a person. Because, uh, you know, let's apply it to Jesus. So Jesus died on the cross for our sins. This is true. And I think, I think our battery is maybe dying. Um, is um, he, he loves us and he saved us and we, we are, that, that's an objective reality. But at the same time, there is in us a, 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 an opening to or growing in our faith. And in Abraham, we see that through, I think, uh, through, through the chapters 12 through 22. And that, I think that's, that's an important thing to do, is that it's not because of what Abraham has done. That's why I've kind of stressed the idol worshiper aspect. Because one of the things in Old Testament, or, uh, Jewish Midrash of Abraham is they always throw it back on Abraham. Oh, he was a wise man because he heard God and he knew it. Well, already in that discussion, right, we're already taking our eyes off of God's work and putting it on Abraham. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, we need to read that slowly because it talks about you know, how much faith Abraham the faith that Abraham had. Um, but we need to read that slowly because I think uh, in verse 16, yeah, God said Abraham was good as dead. It's very hard to follow someone when you're dead. Okay? So I think, um, uh, yeah, so when we read the story, it's so easy to cast our eyes upon Abraham when in fact the agent, of course, is God and God himself. And what, obviously, Jesus says himself, with man it's impossible, but all things are possible with God. Okay. Um, any other questions? Yes, Alex. So do you think, so is that why, like, when God first makes the promise to Abram that he'll have descendants and Sarah laughs and they don't quite take God's promise seriously, do you think that's because he was just viewed as a personal God and not necessarily, they didn't necessarily think that he had all the power to do Oh, that. yeah, that's a good question. I think so. I think this is part of the, so, so Yahweh is revealing himself to Abraham. Now in Noah, I mean, come on, right? Sends the flood, I mean, it's, kind of, it's pretty powerful, right? Abraham, though, doesn't have like a flood in his life. I mean, you know, this is this you know crazy action that God does, right? The Egyptians have the cross, you know, the plagues, the Red Sea, the water from a rock, Mount Sinai. Abraham doesn't have those things, so I, I think I think this is a very interesting idea: is that Sarah and Abraham, well, uh, Sarah especially, um, laughs because 
I mean, if, if Yahweh's like all the other personal gods, come on. So what is the Lord doing? He's, 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 he's fighting for Abraham and Sarah's, Sarah's souls. So, of course, now, at the end of Genesis 22, things, that all changes. Now they know who God is. Okay, good question. Um, oh, Abraham in the altar bit. So Abraham builds an altar. Have you ever wondered why? The, where do these people understand this stuff? How do they know to build an altar? I mean, it's not until Exodus where we get instructions on the tabernacle and building an altar. Oh yeah, I wrote. I wrote what Luther believed. <laughs> Luther believes Shem was around, and he came down and talked to Abraham. In fact. Luther believes that when God spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, a human, a human showed up. When the Lord showed up, he showed up in Shem. Shem, of course, is from Noah, right? The, the descendants, as we get that from Genesis chapter 11, the descendants of Shem, and Abraham come, shows up. So Shem apparently knows how to build an altar because Shem was taught all the way back to Adam and Eve, that's right. Who built the first altar? The one who killed the first animals. Who killed the first animals? That's right. Made skins for Adam and Eve. So that's a little tidbit, a little trivia there. I, 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 that's not, yeah, I can't prove that beyond a shadow of a doubt, but I think that makes sense. I mean, if God made skins for Adam and Eve, those skins covered their shame. Um, I don't, you know, here's another thing too. Is do we, I don't know if you guys ever think about this. I, I, I don't. That's why I'm always bringing it up, because I'm always fascinated by this. You know, it's not like when they sacrifice, they're like, ah, oh, hey, throw the dead animal like in the river, like uh, um, the Alaskan shows. You ever, you ever watch the Alaskan shows? I like watching the Alaskan shows. And they, they gut some of the bear and stuff, and they're like, ah, oh, I got some guts here, whatever. They throw it away. I don't think back in those days they did that. So when, when God, you know, makes skins for Adam and Eve, what are you going to do with that good meat? I don't know. I, don't know, I think he ate it, because Adam and Eve, they weren't, it wasn't until Noah that he could eat it. But. Um, all right, well, anyways, that's beside the point. All right, now I'm just kind of digressing. Um, so, yeah, so uh, Abraham built an altar to the, to, the, uh, to the Lord and sacrificed. Now, one of the interesting things is... Uh, when it calls upon the Lord, Martin Luther and there's this other Polish Lutheran, I think I, I quote him there, Valerius Herberger, they all think that Abraham is preaching at this time, like he's a pastor with his people. I find that fascinating. Abraham held divine service is what they say. Word and sacrament. They're a lot smarter than me, so I, I usually try to listen to them, but... Okay, so the whole point about Abraham is that Abraham is rotten to the core. He's a, he's a damn sinner, and God chooses him out of nowhere. God, God chooses Abraham not because he's a great guy. He's a faithful guy. He chooses him because God chooses him. This is the circular argument when it comes to God's grace and God's love. Why does God love you? Because he loves you. Why did God choose you? Because he chose you. Um, it, it, it don't spend too much time on it because it's something to be celebrated. 
not explained. So that is, and that's really important for us, because again, the Midrash, the Jewish Midrash, uh, you can look up some of these things. I'm sure you can Google them, but... Um, uh, old Midrash, Midrash, uh, Midrash is explanation on the, t- the first five books of the Bible. So it's kind of like old Jewish commentaries on the Bible, and they fill in a lot of the, they fill in things, which is kind of fun to read, because uh, Abraham and his father were idol carvers. They were carvers. They made idols, and the story goes is the most kind of well known one is. Uh, so his father goes away. I don't know. He's got to make a delivery. And he comes back, and he's like, what is going on here? The shop is just destroyed. And he knows Abraham did it. Abraham, what? Why did you, how can you do this? And Abraham says, no, no, no. The biggest idol destroyed everyone else. And his dad said, come on, Abraham. You did that. He's like, oh, if they weren't real gods, then why are you doing this, right? So he caught his dad in his own lack of faith in the idols. Um, it's a great story, right? But it does now start to elevate the worthiness of Abraham and being cho- chosen by God. Yeah, and another one. Well, there's, there's a lot of other ones. It's, it's kind of in, I mean, I think it's kind of interesting, but it does rub up against the notion that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, the justification of the sinner. Okay, so you know, who is God in this story? God's the main actor. He, he says, I will do a lot of things. Um, he's going he's to take you to the land. He'll show you. He'll make you a great nation. He will bless you materially and relationally. He'll magnify your name, bless those who bless you, curse. So now the thing is, though, God does act in his own way, and I think I just mentioned that. It's circular. God's choice can only be explained by itself. Now, um, uh, so this is also now, too. So, okay, I already let the cat out of the bag. How does the reader mimic Abraham? Meaning, you, the only way you can continue with this story is if you take on the stance of Abraham. Meaning, I don't know what God's up here, God's up to here, but because God says, God, uh, God is doing this, I'm going to keep on reading. So not only does Abraham go on a journey, but also the listener, the reader, goes on this journey, too. With Abraham, because the story is not—it's um, well, he's an idol worshiper, and God's saying, "Hey, you're going to be the guy. You're going to be my guy." Okay, Martin Luther. I already mentioned that God works through human means. I think that's perfect. I, I love that idea. Do you know? Uh, so does yeah? Okay. All right. Now, last but not least, is God's on the move. God is on the move. This is one of the interesting stories about how God works. God's always on the move in the Old Testament. Up until when? When does God kind of settle down? Yes, the building of the temple. Whose idea was it to build the temple? Yeah, it was David's. I tell you what, you don't want to, you don't want to study the Old Testament too closely. Because then we get a lot of get a lot of complex. What I thought, wasn't God want that? That's exactly right. Well, yes. Oh, David. Okay, so Samuel says, "Hey, let's not have this temple." Well, why does Samuel argue against it? 
Well, oh, yeah, you're thinking about the kingship, I think. So first of all, they didn't want, you know, uh, Israel wanted the king. It was recommended not to do that. Um, and, they, and God's like, all right, fine, give them what they want. It's not going to go well. Right? I mean, you, you know, you do that with your kids, right? Fine. Basically, I think Samuel's argument was God doesn't need a house built by hand. That's right. So, of course, yes, yeah, exactly right. God does not need a house built with human hands. Which, of course, then later in the New Testament, right, we, have, we don't have a house built with human hands. We have a house built with his hands, who is Jesus, of course. Holly. Oh, yeah. Now, but it, it, this is a great thing, though, right? Because I, 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 when I love someone, I love to do something for them. I mean, most of the time. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> Joking. But I also, I also love people by letting them do things for me. So it's, <laughs> it's a unique thing there. No, no. Okay, so, but the thing is, though, right? Yeah, right. We love someone. We want to do something for them. But, of course, what are we projecting now upon this relationship? Ourselves, right? We know yes. We know best. I know how best to love this person. Um, okay, so, uh, not to get, yeah, we're farther down on that tangent there. But God is on the move. So, uh, he, he is one on the move. Now, why is he always on the move? What does this say to us? Well, he's always on the move. What's that? Oh, well, yeah, so he's fulfilling his own promise. Yep. Well, what does that say about the relationship between God and Abraham? If, he's, if, if God is always on the move. Yeah. Abraham's on the move, of course. So who can Abraham depend upon for his stuff? That's exactly right. Now, of course... Does Abraham know best, or does God know best? Exactly. So, hey, this is very hard for us now. Because, I mean, I don't know, how many people love moving? Anybody? Fall, yeah. As long as it's somewhere warmer. Yeah. Um, Nobody likes moving. It's awful. Uh, You know, know, because, you know, pastors live the rock and roll lifestyle, right? So a lot of life on the road, it gets gets really hard. It's really hard. No. Uh, how many people have ever seen Behind the Music? You know, last time I taught, I pulled out, what was the group I, uh, I Got a Man? Who, who sang that song again? Yes, Special K. Thank you. Yeah, well, I already did. I already did. Um, uh, so now I'll bring up Behind the, Behind the Music, VH1, Behind the Music, which I think is a little more current than Special K, right? Maybe next time I'll bring up something from, like, this year. I don't know. No, behind the music, it's all about rock and roll bands and the struggles they go through. I've always been wondered about that because they always live a life on the road and it's terrible. It causes problems in their marriage or between their friendship. I mean, the friendships of the band. I'm like, oh, this is just this is normal. So you can now imagine Moses and not just Abraham. The thing about Abraham, what I find interesting is, is God doesn't really mention too much of the problems that Abraham ensued. Maybe because there wasn't any. I don't know. But if I'm moving a lot with my family, 
I can tell you right now, my kids are not going to be happy. Yes, that's right. But he also had people. He had his people. Sorry. Yes. In fact, uh, yeah, he had his people. Which, of course, you know, what is that? I don't even know what that means. No, I'm kidding. But um, he had his people. The, uh, which, Carol, though, that's a good point. I didn't actually put that together until right now. Maybe that's why God didn't have, have kids, right? Hey, you're going to be on the move. I'm going to save you from the heartache of having children on the move. I don't think Abraham and Sarah agreed with that idea, though, because they longed to have a child. Okay, um, so God's always on the move, uh, and really it, it does uh, a couple things. It, it defines their relationship between God and Abraham. And now Abraham is slowly getting to the point to depend upon God wholly and entirely. The second thing, too, though, it relates to the idea of what it means to be on the move, and that is the openness towards the future. Okay, why would that be important in the Old Testament, an openness to the future, rather than being closed in on who, this is who we are and are, we're not changing? Why, why would that be something fundamentally wrong in Old Testament faith? Well, okay, yeah, I don't have commandments. But think about what was given to them already in Gen- already up, up through Genesis so far, and up to Genesis chapter 12. What promise? Somebody said it. The Messiah, that's right. So this is one of the things, that, so you already have this idea that Abraham has to be open to the future because their salvation lies in the future. That's, that's a hard place to be. I'm okay with not knowing what tomorrow will bring. But whatever it brings, God will bring it. Um, all right, the purpose of God's choice, great nation, blessing, reputation, they all sound great, but what, um, what we must always remember is the underlining these purposes, and that is what Valerius Herberger again, O Lord Jesus, be my blessing. So as we think about Abraham's blessings and being great and a great nation, his great nation is finally fulfilled in Jesus, one person. I mean, this is, this is kind of an interesting thing. Now you understand why Jesus ran into so many problems. Because they all were thinking, hey, we're going to be a great nation, we're going to have a lot of people, Rome can't rule us because God has to be our ruler. And then we have this some guy from Nazareth saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to be your blessing. I'm your blessing. It's hard to swallow. And through me, through the one me, everyone in the entire world will be blessed. We'll, we'll probably get to that in John, through John chapter 8, when uh, Jesus says, hey, Abraham saw me. He was glad. All right, so Abraham in the New Testament. So we get to this point now where... Uh, you know, making nations great and all that stuff is, is, is fantastic. However, it all points towards Jesus and then God bringing in Abraham and everybody else into this in line with Jesus. And so we do actually see that in the New Testament where Peter uses Abraham in Acts and Stephen uses him in, in 7. Um, so they, and Paul, so, so uh, Peter, Stephen, Paul and the writer to the Hebrews all brings the story of Abraham back into line with Jesus. And again, 
throws that emphasis back upon what God has been doing to Abraham, for Abraham, and then for the life of the world through Abraham's seed. It's a, uh, it's, it's a great, well, it's a great story, I think. So you got you know, one guy who comes from being an idol worshiper to being the ultimate symbol of our salvation on earth. Abraham's the, the he's the, the, the one that we look to when it means to be justified. How does God work in someone's life? We'll look towards Abraham. So I, I think it's a very fascinating little... So we'll, we'll get to a little more about Abraham in the next few weeks. Any other questions? Any questions at all? George? Just a few words. Uh, he was an idol worshiper in his community, and he was converted. Now he can com- you know, influence his community. That's exactly right. So now, yep. So think about all those family passages where Abraham's moving around with a lot of people, and then what would George just said. So Abraham already is, well, as the uh, Luther and Herberger said, he's already preaching the gospel to, to his people. All right. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.